Hi, and welcome to Inspect and Adapt. This is Mark Griffin, Director of Customer Solutions here at Constructs. Founded by CodeComplete author Steve McConnell, Construct believes that every software team can be successful. We believe that developing the professional skills of companies, teams, and individuals is the best way to achieve more software success. In a typical episode, we can uh, talk with one of our consultants and explore different types of engagements that they're working on. We describe the issues those engagements are designed to address and how we solve them, and we have some fun along the way. But today, we're going to do a little bit of a departure from that. And we're going to bring you a very special and timely episode that provides a window into this new novel coronavirus world that we all find ourselves in. I'm joined again by Construct CEO Steve McConnell, as well as a new participant today, Construct's VP of Consulting, Jenny Stewart. You know Steve's background from prior podcasts, so I will not introduce you again to that. But I will introduce you to Jenny. She has been with Constructs for more than 20 years and brings her breadth and depth of experiences to matters of organizational change, process improvement, and software lifecycle assistance. Jenny's expertise in combining agile development and traditional best practices has helped Constructs clients dramatically improve their ability to meet their software development business goals. She's a prolific author of white papers and co-author of the Constructs Professional Development Ladder, and Constructs just wouldn't be the same without her efforts. Streaming wow, Mark, to you live. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There we're, we're actually all streaming to you live from our respective homes, Fremont, Bellevue, Washington, and Sammamish, Washington. So welcome, Steve and Jenny. Glad to be here, Mark. So let's um, begin by talking about today's fascinating topic. Um, Constructs, like all other organizations out there today, has had to make adjustments to its business delivery in this quarantine climate. And what we were curious about was what were other software organizations doing to cope with the unprecedented event we all are uh, living inside right now. So Steve and Jenny came up with this idea of surveying software professionals to determine the effect that work from home strategies have during the pandemic and what has that effect on software development that they're they're witnessing. And by the way, uh, at the outset, I'm going to mention that if you would like to get a full copy of the Constructs Coronavirus Work From Home Report, please go to the resources section of the Constructs website to download it, as well as other excellent free Constructs content. So let's, let's start, uh, Steve and Jenny, by having you both tell us a bit about where this idea came from, why you decided this was an important thing to understand, and maybe you can give us a feel for the survey demographics, like who participated, what was the data collected, et cetera. Thanks, Mark. Well, I have to say it all initiated with uh, Steve. He really had the idea of reaching out uh, to the software community and providing some assistance to understand what people are going through and to be able to gather insights into where people are having successes, where people are struggling, so that we could provide some guidance back to the software development industry. So with that, Oh, sorry, Steve. Yeah, Jenny's being a little too generous, I think. Uh, We were talking about what the effect of uh, coronavirus was on our business, and we started wondering about what it was on other businesses, and then we thought, I think it's the engineering mindset. We thought, well, we could do something useful here. We could actually survey other businesses and find out how they're handling this event, and, uh, you know, maybe we would get mundane responses, and it would be all everything we expected, or maybe we would hear some things that surprised us, and we learned something. And uh, so we got kind of excited about that idea and decided that we would try to learn something. And so we put this survey together. Well, it's cool. I mean, people were, you know, in reading some of the comments and, and, and there were a lot of comments. I think people were quite verbose in their comments, weren't they? 
we had yeah we had over seven thousand comments uh uh so it was a lot of comments to wade through but there was a lot of good material there uh, people were sharing their pain and they were sharing uh some pride in some of the practices that they developed and uh and uh, there were a lot of unexpected uh, uh, reports of uh, things people were doing. And uh, I think we, we, in fact, did end up learning a lot from those comments. Yeah, when Steve and I were first talking about this, we obviously talked about having some questions that were, you know, right on a scale of significant to no impact at all kind of thing. But we really wanted to have a lot of open field optional questions um, and in fact, I was really struck by how much of the interesting and insightful information came from the comments and how thoughtful people were and how many comments they gave us. So for folks who have participated or out there listening, I really want to thank them for that because it provided a lot of very interesting and useful input. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very generous with their comments and, and uh, you know, lots of really good insights. Maybe they were task avoiding. No. <laughs> so, um, you know, in looking through it, one of my um, favorite questions here was was the one you asked about the work from home frequency, right? What they did in the past, what would in, in what would be considered today the normal state, um, what's the present, and then what's their future thinking about what uh, the work from home strategy might look like. What what did we find in that question that was really surprising? I'm, I think this was perhaps the least surprising. Uh, result of the survey. This this pretty much matched what we were predicting, which was uh, the survey found that before uh, the pandemic, the vast majority of people were working from home, uh, you know, infrequently. The um, most people said infrequently, or the plurality of responses said infrequently. Second most common was sometimes, uh, but we had more responses that were in the never category than in the almost always or almost always category. Uh, and then I think I, I will say I was a little surprised that we had uh, well over 90% of people working from home now. And uh, I guess in our local area, in the Seattle area, that wouldn't have surprised me. But since our survey drew from uh, 63 different countries, uh, I was surprised that we had well over 90% working from home really globally. Um, and then And then we saw that uh, based on this experience of working from home, most people personally would prefer to work from home more than they had been before. Uh, we had hardly anyone who replied that they never wanted to work from home in the future, whereas we had about uh, 15% that replied never before the pandemic. Uh, and, uh, and we had quite a smaller number, maybe about half, that said that in the future they would prefer to work from home only infrequently. Uh, compared to how many they s said they worked from home infrequently before all this happened. So we had about 85% that thought that after the pandemic, they would like to work from home uh, sometimes, uh, uh, often, or always, or almost always. One thing that struck me about the data, Steve, was the difference between future personal preference and future team prediction. Right. Uh, where the team prediction showed a higher amount of people working from home often, but personal preference actually showed a smaller amount of that. Yeah, I think we had a lot of comments uh, in, in the narrative comments about, uh, particularly in regard to how work practices had changed. There were a lot of comments that were almost like a virtual asterisk that said, well, of course, we already had some people working remotely. 
Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm speculating here. I'm, I'm doing a little bit of interpretation on the data, uh, but my interpretation of that difference between uh, prediction about how much the team would work remotely in the future, which was quite a bit higher than the prediction about future personal preference, was just drawing in that idea that some people on the team already were working remotely even before this started. It also made me just think about the fact of some of the things that people were missing, like the incidental water cooler conversations or just that cup of coffee you have with a colleague that you happen to see in a hallway corridor is something people are really missing. It, it definitely seemed to be a theme for sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the respondents said it would be interesting to conduct this survey every three weeks or so. And uh, <laughs> I doubt we could get people to fill out our lengthy survey that often. But, you know, I suspect that there's some truth in that, that, I mean, speaking for myself, uh, I am definitely not enjoying the work from home or isolation anywhere near as much now as I was a month ago. And, uh, I would say that the novelty of the virtual uh, cocktail hours is starting to wear off for me. Uh, uh, I'm definitely getting some personal fatigue from the video calls. Uh, uh, and uh, there are days when I feel like, okay, that's enough video calls. I don't need any more video calls today. Whereas <clears throat> the, uh, the same amount of face-to-face contact, I think would be fine. So right. I don't know how Jenny, you're feeling about that, but uh, it's uh, you know, I do think time, time counts in this issue. I think time counts as well. I haven't yet reached fatigue just because I don't typically have, you know, that many calls, but I do have friends who are telling me things like, you know, I have five or six Zoom sessions every day and I am getting really tired of all of this. Indeed. I thought one interesting uh, feedback point on the survey was what had happened with the daily standups. And uh, most teams, I think most teams said they were just doing their daily standups via video. Uh, but we had, I'd say we had um, probably three to one in terms of teams that had decreased the frequency of the of the daily scrum uh, versus those that had increased the frequency. And you know, I was not surprised to see some people reporting that they had decreased the frequency to two or three times a week. But I will say I was surprised to hear uh, some people report that they'd increased the frequency to two or three times a day. Yeah, that's quite the shift. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things you opened up the, the survey with, Steve, was was a, a sort of a top-level um, comment about the level of disruption, disruption that people had seen in, in terms of both personal stress and, and work-related stress. And it seemed like the personal stress took the lead on that. Yeah, this was really uh, Jenny's uh, brainchild, I think, was, uh, you know, in, in Jenny's work with our clients, she had uh, heard a company saying that, yeah, there was some stress related to or disruption related to working from home per se, but there were other kinds of disruptions that were coming out of just changes in work priorities. Uh, you know, companies were being, some projects were being shut down, other projects were being elevated, there's a lot of firefighting going on. So we wanted to get a handle on the degree to which the disruptions were caused by the change in work location or just everybody working remotely uh, versus other factors. And we threw in the question about personal stress related to coronavirus uh, almost as an obligatory uh, entry in the responses. And I certainly didn't anticipate that uh, being number one. But when we got the responses back, interestingly enough, in the survey, this question was almost at the end of the survey. So people had had a chance to answer answer 
numerous questions about the effect of working from home on their scrum teams and their Kanban and uh, meetings and social interactions. And then we asked this question about how would you rate the relative level of disruption? And even after essentially prompting people to think about all the possible challenges in their work environment, personal stress related to coronavirus bubbled up very clearly to the number one spot. So, you know, it's, I think it's a good sanity check in that, uh, you know, we did the survey mainly to try to get a handle on more kind of work practices, but the backdrop on all this really is it's, it's an extraordinary time where people are feeling personal stress related to their personal safety, their families, uh, health and, uh, and, and, you know, because of that, the work issues are in some sense secondary. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, that's, that's a, good, a, a good cue, I think, to, to leadership, right? To, that they should understand the fact that it's not just work-related issues that might be driving things that, that they're seeing in their teams or their individuals, is that, that the personal stress is something they should certainly be aware of. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the, in the podcast. So one of the other things I think you mentioned was that you were actually encouraged by some people choosing to use this pandemic time as a learning experience. So tell me a little bit about that. What, what did you uncover in that situation? There's certainly a theme there of just being thrown into the situation and a lot of people learning uh, new skills in terms of how to use the tools, how to conduct virtual meetings. Well, lots of comments about how that will carry over into the future um, I, I personally find it's kind of interesting. A friend of mine sent me an article uh, whose headline was basically the goal is to arrive alive. Uh, initially, it's <laughs> yeah. talking about, you know, flying with small children and your goal is really just to arrive with everybody alive. Uh, but it also talked about how that sort of impacts the coronavirus world as well, too. And there's almost sort of two camps of people. The people who are supposed to take this as a chance to, to learn a lot of new stuff and try new skills, maybe learn Spanish or something like that. And then there's the people where the goal is just to arrive alive on the other side of all of this. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and I think part of it, too, is that, you know, I, I see a lot of the engineering mindset here where, you know, engineers like to solve problems. So, uh, you know, and I think problem solving can be a way to deal with stress. and. Uh, uh, you know, the whole idea of wanting to figure out how to, how to get through it. I think that's a, a good coping mechanism for people who have an engineering mindset. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, uh, I was quite uh, struck by the creativity in some of the solutions that people described to us. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem like this is uh, just a serviceable, uh, workmanlike, uh, you know, utilitarian responses that are trying to get the job done in the short term. I think, you know, there actually is some creativity and even fun in some of the responses. And I think that was heartening to see. Absolutely. Uh, definitely some making lemonade out of lemons here. Absolutely. So let, let's talk about uh, more, more detail as we go through the report here about some categories we used in the survey and, and just touch on some of the responses. I know it's so hard when you had 7,000 people talking about different, 7,000 responses to, to culminate that into one little little sound bite, but let's, let's give it a shot with some of the broader categories. Like, like, first of all, uh, the notion of communication and connectivity, that was certainly going to be an issue, right? Where people normally are in an office environment and now they find themselves having, having to do to work through a different communication channel. So talk a little bit about maybe 
tools and learning curves and, you know, certainly things that, that we've seen as well in, in our interactions with, with uh, different companies. Yeah, I think the, the tools are an interesting one. Um, it's from the responses that we got, uh, it sounded like a lot of companies already had teams. Uh, the, the new adoption of tools was basically a little bit higher for Zoom than it was for Teams. And nothing else really registered. Uh, you know, there were very m- minor responses on Hangouts, Skype, uh, WebEx, but really Zoom and Teams were the two 800-pound gorillas in terms of new adoption. Uh, in terms of actual usage, we got many, many comments along the lines of, we already had Teams, but people weren't really using it, and now usage has exploded. Uh, and uh, and I think that the way I'm viewing this, and I think uh, I'm viewing it this way because partly because of what we saw in the responses to the survey, is that we've essentially had this forced learning experience where you know, you never could have gotten the whole uh, the whole country to, uh, or really the whole business world to adopt remote uh, communication technology over the space of a couple of weeks. Uh, but that's effectively what's happened is everyone has been forced to learn it. And not just technical people, but uh, all of the business partners and stakeholders and customers. Um, and, uh, and so I think that's a really interesting just in that we've just had massive wide-scale adoption of these tools. And to me, I think one of the interesting aspects of that is for, I think technical people like to learn new tools. So that's, you know, a treat really for them. But for other people who may view learning a new tool as threatening, there's actually been something disarming about having everyone learning uh, the new tool uh, uh, at the same time. I think People who aren't that tool savvy have been more comfortable asking questions, more comfortable expressing their lack of familiarity with the tool. And I think that's all accelerated the learning curve. So, uh, so I think that's actually a pretty cool development. I agree with that. I Absolutely. think it's a really interesting time to just see such a huge shift so quickly. Uh, one of the things I found really interesting in the survey data was just how communication has shifted. So there's obviously people doing a lot more video conferencing and becoming a lot more comfortable with those tools and using them more. But a lot of the respondents also talked about other communication changes that had happened. Um, Team members putting more effort into their written communication, um, meetings being better planned and staying more focused unnecessary meetings being reduced. So just this whole idea that it's not just video, but communication in totality has changed through this period of time. And I I think that it's going to change a little bit forever. It'll be really interesting to look back in six months and a year and say, you know, what of these learnings that we're going through now have just become a part of normal business life? Yeah, I think the meetings topic is a particularly interesting one, just because under normal circumstances, meetings are a huge sore point for practically everyone, and especially in large organizations. Uh, you know, technical staff tends not to like meetings because they are they uh, interrupt their day, and uh, and they don't necessarily feel they get a lot out of them. Uh, leaders in organizations tend not to like meetings because their day is booked wall to wall with meetings, and we've we've heard for years that the only time leaders ever get anything done is like after six or before seven or that kind of thing. Uh, because of the wall-to-wall meetings. And I think in addition, 
uh, we've for years heard just huge frustrations about how poorly run meetings are, how there's no agenda for the meeting, uh, people who get invited to meetings who don't really need to be there, just an endless litany of frustration about meetings. And so to me, it's very interesting that, uh, you know, one of the, the most frustrating aspects of of working in a business, which is meetings, um, actually still needs to continue during the pandemic. But it, that's the thing that has probably been transformed the most. Uh, and so a lot of the responses were about meetings. And I thought, I thought it was interesting. I think we had, uh, we didn't, we asked about uh, coordination and working with stakeholders. We didn't really ask a question specifically about have your meetings improved or gotten worse. I mean, for me, it wasn't on the radar screen that meetings might actually improve because of this. But, you know, we had a lot of people who said that uh, the meetings had gotten better, that they were more purposeful, they were better planned out in the first place, uh, they didn't last as long, uh, they stayed on topic more. Uh, so that to me was a really surprising outcome. And all good things if we can keep it into the future. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Being more deliberate with what, when you need to call meetings. I mean, we certainly went through in the beginning, um, getting established with with a rhythm of different times of meetings. I mean, Steve, I think you tried to 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 keep to some level of normalcy with regards to constructs and having, say, Wednesday lunch or wind downs or things like that. And I think we've also been um, been instructed to try and get better microphones, better webcams. Um, clean up, clean up the background of our offices. Hypothetically speaking, <laughs> in my case, um, well, it's this it's is uh, audio only, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I find it's interesting, right? So one of the things I've learned is my microphone actually has really great quality, but it's somewhat uncomfortable to wear, and so I went up to try and get a new one and. It, you know, in late March, the timeline to get a new headset was at least a month out. And some places were literally just saying, don't know, right? So we had a massive run on all of those materials. And I think if you weren't able to be in the first pass of getting it, you potentially had a lot of issues trying to work from home with, you know, a poor microphone or a poor webcam or a computer that wouldn't even allow you to have video or that kind yeah. of thing. Right. Yep. I think we as a company were, you know, we had already uh, made sure everybody was set up to do video conferencing before all this stuff started. So I don't think our company was super affected by it, but in terms of not being able to get the equipment that we need, but yeah, I think other, other, uh, other people have I, actually though, I mean, in terms of the survey, I don't think we got a single comment from anyone saying I didn't have the right technology. I am, have been unable to get the right technology, which is pretty interesting. We had, uh, you know, over 600 uh, people who responded on the survey and over 7,000 comments, but not one about an equipment shortage. So, you know, we certainly had comments about people being frustrated with the quality of, say, other people's microphones or other people's webcam images, right. you know, other people's uh, internet connections. We had some comments about people being frustrated with their own uh, internet connections, but uh, yeah, nothing about just being unable to get equipment. I, I suspect in the software world that most people already had had the equipment, and if not, they at least had a laptop with a camera or that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah, I think you could at least muddle through, but uh, 
right? We're always going to complain more about other people's images than ours because we're not necessarily going to see the issues when our connectivity is low. Um, right. So, yeah, indeed. I think it's all an interesting, though, easily solvable problem, right? You know, once things settle back in, making sure that everybody's got a setup at home that allows them to work, at least in countries that have all the infrastructure, right? I still feel for countries like India, where you'll have whole areas of Bangalore, where you're going to have great connectivity and whole areas where you're just not going to have great connectivity. Right. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think it's worth contextualizing this in in the saying that yes there have been challenges and issues but in terms of our survey the bottom line is that most respondents said that remote communication was working better than expected or far better than expected so yeah there have been challenges to overcome but that doesn't mean it's not actually working working quite well and it was surprising to hear that it was working better than expected well, this, this is a good bridge, I think, into, um, you know, in, in the survey, we break about, we break out sort of three levels of experiences that we saw represented um, that would be personal or individual experiences, team level experiences, and then leadership or company level experiences. So why don't we talk about the team, uh, the personal experiences, the individual experiences that respondents shared with us, um, some of the challenges and benefits that they saw in doing that. We, we just touched a fair amount on the home office setup. But, you know, like anybody else, you have a home office environment, you're going to have the environment you're in, right? So dogs and kids and, you know, the the behavior of like, I have to remember I'm on video, so, you know, wear pants or whatever. You know, <laughs> some strange, yeah. strange, interesting life guidance you give yourself. So I think, um, you know, I, I think the, the responses here were probably not super surprising because by the time we completed the survey, we had all participated in so many of these uh, video calls that we had personally experienced a lot of the issues. So the idea of dogs barking in the background or people getting interrupted by kids or uh, having bandwidth issues because you've got three people in the house who are doing, you know, two people working and one person doing online classroom or something like that. I think we've, a lot of people have personally experienced this or having an old slow computer at home you know, or a small uncomfortable screen or that kind of thing. Um, so to me, I don't think I was I was terribly surprised by that. I think the um, I think one thing that did jump out at me was just the ergonomics of the home office setup, where there's a difference between working at home for a couple hours in the evening versus working, you know, eight plus hours a day. And so we got comments about uncomfortable chairs, uncomfortable desks, uh, uh, and uh, you know, just the idea that working for a couple hours is not the same as a, as a full work day. Yeah, absolutely. I also found really interesting the comments around uh, separating work and home life. And I've definitely personally experienced this, right? I don't have that experience now of getting up and having a coffee. And then for me going to catch the bus to go to the office, right? My commute now is grabbing my coffee and walking into the home office, but it's not as clear when, home starts and home ends anymore. And those lines can blur pretty easily and a lot more easily. And we had a lot of people talking about that and a lot of people talking about trying to have something where they built a new structure into this new ecosystem so that they had a little bit more demarcation or was it easier for them to sort of separate when am I working and when am I not working? And my, my reaction to that was actually probably not a typical software person reaction 
because this is an issue that authors talk about a lot. And so, you know, I've actually over the years as an author read quite a bit on the challenges that authors have motivating themselves when they're working from home, because that's what most authors do. They work from home. Uh, and so it was very interesting to me to read participants talking about challenge of how do I make myself actually do work? Uh, a lot, of, an awful lot of people recommended structuring their work days and saying you can't just get up in your pajamas and work whenever you feel like it. It's, it works best to treat it as though you're, you know, in your normal work schedule. Uh, so I thought these were pretty interesting because among authors, this sort of dialogue has been common for you know eons. And, uh, and the, the idea of, of the difficulty of uh, motivating yourself and structuring your workday is something that, that a lot of us have thought about for years. I think the advantage that people have in the current circumstances is that they're not trying to do it solely on their own. And being an author is normally a solitary activity where you don't have anybody else uh, scheduling a meeting that you need to show up for at 9 a.m. or you know, adding any structure to your workday. So I think one thing that's probably helping in this circumstance is the fact that we do have these uh, video meetings and especially for teams that have a daily scrum, they have to at least get started, get their day started by the time the daily scrum happens. And so, yeah, I, I definitely found it interesting. I think uh, we had many, many, many responses about the challenge of separating work and home life. And, uh, um, and then I thought also, uh, I thought there was a clear divide in terms of being able to work effectively at home between the people who have young children at home and and people who don't. That that seemed to be other distractions people really described working through. You know, I they described I had to you know make it clear to my roommate or my boyfriend or whatever that you know when the door is closed I can't be interrupted. Uh, but young children seem to be the uh, the the uh, disruption that was maybe the hardest to overcome, particularly because in current circumstances, so many people are are also trying to uh, provide schooling for their children who otherwise would be in school. So, yeah, I guess I think it's good that that this part of it's that the most disruptive actually in the long term probably is the part that will not be an issue because kids eventually will go back to school and and then that'll not be the issue it is right now. Right. Well, I think the Facebook for, memes are, are certainly helping everybody feel the pain, uh, you know, the shared pain and you have to laugh at it because it's, you know, it just is, so, it is out there. It's people trying to lock themselves away from their kids and things like that. It's a little crazy. Now, yeah, I, mean, I think one of the, uh, one of the early Facebook memes I saw within the first week or so was a, uh, a parent who said, uh, who said uh, homeschooling report period or homeschooling report colon uh, both students suspended uh, teacher fired for drinking during the work day. <laughs> yes, I, I, I think that one resonated with a lot of people for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you if you if you think about personality types, right? If if you're familiar with Myers Briggs and you have this notion of the the extrovert introvert boundary, um, you know, I find myself leaning towards the extro extrovert side. ESTJ is my branding, but I also have an introvert side that comes up that's that's fairly present, and I think in a generalized sense, developers tend to be somewhat introverted. And so I think that the adjustment for them in this scenario was probably something not too hard to do. But if, if you're an extrovert, 
And, you know, the only conversation you might have is via Zoom or something like that. It's, it's hard to settle that down and, and feel comfortable in that environment where you really, you, you take energy from being around people. And if they're, if they're not there for you, that's a, that's a hit. It's funny. I have a friend who calls this time the rise, the time of the introvert, right? And she's still quite happy without any connectivity other than what she does for work. And then there's folks, Mark, like you and I, who are more extroverted, where I need to schedule social time. Right, right. And, I, and think, done I think one thing that came through in the survey responses clearly is that, is that you know, as in everything else, people are different. And so uh, we have a mix in the software world of introverts and extroverts. We have a mix of how much social contact people want or need. Uh, we found some people, I think, for whom working at home has been a relief. We find other people that, for whom working from home has been more of a trial. And uh, and I think, you know, if you think about it, that's not too surprising that different people would react differently. And I, I'm sure we'll have people who are kind of sorry to have to go back to the office <laughs> when this is over. And we'll have other people who just can't wait to get back. And uh, you know, I do think the software world trends a little bit more introverted than extroverted and probably definitely more introverted than the general population. You know, there's right. actually some research on that. It's not terrifically reliable research, but some. Um, so yeah, I think it's possible that this whole work from home period has had less of an impact on software people than it has on the population at large. Well, yeah. I will have to say the survey is very clear that people are not going to be excited about returning to commuting. <laughs> That's a big yeah. one. Absolutely. Considering that we did not mention, you know, we didn't mention any of these issues in terms of prompts and the questions we didn't ask about, uh, we didn't ask about uh, self-motivation. We didn't ask about work and f blending work and family life. And we certainly didn't ask anything about commuting, but we had dozens and dozens and dozens of responses about ins and outs of commuting. And, and uh, yeah, that's, that's clearly another sore point. And I was struck by, I was struck by the sense of surprise in, in the responses by people being surprised that, Hey, I've got all this time now I can sleep in and I can still start my day earlier and I can still re-engage with my family at the end of the day earlier. You know, it's like magic. I just suddenly got all this extra time from somewhere all right. due to not having a commute. Right. You fill it up with the extra two meals a day you eat now. So it's, <laughs> unfortunately, I think after five weeks, my weight is finally stabilized, which is, you know, I don't, I don't think we had any comments about eating too much, but we had many, <laughs> many uh, recommendations about make sure you get up and go outside and exercise regularly. So I think we got the flip side of that. Yep, absolutely. So let's jump to the second level of experiences and that that's at the team level experience. Yeah. So home. can we, I, I wanted to make one other comment about the commute, sure. about one of the, the most surprising responses. And it goes back to the meeting topic where it was really interesting to me to hear people say that they'd been frustrated prior to all this with meetings, not starting on time. And I would say in our experience, working with a lot of different companies, different companies do have different meeting cultures. And in some companies, meetings start five minutes past the hour. Some they start 15 minutes past the hour. Um, I worked at one company a long time ago where meetings routinely started 30 minutes past the hour. And I would actually go into the conference room on time because I knew I'd have 30 minutes to work uninterrupted before anyone wow. showed up. That's the extreme. <laughs> but we got comments from people saying, our meetings now start on time because uh, people aren't late due to traffic. They're not late due to their bus being late or their train being late. 
And so to me, the intersection of the commute issue and the meeting issue, where the result is, hey, our meetings actually can start on time now, uh, was pretty interesting. Well, some of that could be you, people with small kids at home trying to escape. <laughs> Let me talk to an adult, please. I also thought some of the shifts in meeting practices, like making sure that meetings ended at five minutes before the hour so that people could, you know, take a quick break, have a coffee or water before joining their next Zoom meeting. So just finding patterns that also helped people make sure those meetings were on time. Yeah, I, you know, as you both know, one of my pet peeves for a long time has been uh, the default in Outlook to a meeting uh, being an hour, which I think is probably wasted billions of hours by <laughs> being scheduled to take an hour that could have been done in half an hour or 30 minutes or 15 minutes. Um, you know, I would love to see a change so that the default meeting length was 15 minutes instead of an hour. Um, <laughs> and similarly, I think, yeah, this idea of meeting starting at five minutes past and ending it. You know, five minutes before the half hour or five minutes before the hour is a, you know, that's a practice that predated um, pandemic, but uh, is one that <laughs> uh, if you have to go straight from one video call to the next and you don't even have to change rooms for the meeting, uh, it becomes important to insert some kind of break in there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, let's talk about the, the team experience, um, you know, and, and we, we asked some questions, particularly about interactions of, of individual contributors on their team and talked to folks about how their interactions with other roles in the organization uh, were, were happening. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? You know, one thing that really struck me in the team section was about the experience that had shifted for people who had been working from home before all of this. And all of a sudden, everybody is suddenly now experiencing their situation. And so this feeling that there was much more of a level playing field or that it put everybody on the same footing or now other people kind of feel their pain and their experience. Um, I thought that was a really interesting, I, I figured that thread would be there, but it was interesting to me just how strong that theme was. Yeah, this was an area where I, I didn't really see a lot of surprises. I think that people reported that the working relationships were, on average, slightly more challenging. Uh, I guess that's pretty much what I expected. It wasn't the same. I mean, we did have a lot of people who said the same. But on average, the, 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 the response was slightly more challenging, really across the board. And some relationships were harder than others. Um, you know, the business partner relationship and the stakeholder relationship were the ones most often described as significantly more challenging. But the interesting thing to me is the one that was described as slightly more challenging the most often was with their own team members. And I, I interpret that really as just frequency of interaction. These are the people they have to interact with a lot. And so they already know how to interact with them. They already have face-to-face -face, uh, relationships established. And so the, the remote aspect of it just makes it slightly more challenging. Whereas, you know, we, there were comments about, you know, I actually have to physically go like stalk one of my business partners or my stakeholders and I can't go physically track them down now. And, you know, if they weren't picking up the phone before, now they certainly aren't picking up the phone. So um, I guess that, that response made sense to me. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it seems to be, I mean, they, they all, the, the respondents seem to be 
pretty normal across that. If you look at the at the graphs you, you published in the report, it, it really is, seems to be a commonality across there. Mm-hmm. What about things like uh, like for team members the 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 physical home environment and and availability kind of questions, um, separating work life and and people having to understand whether other folks now are are dealing with right. You you maybe not you didn't know that maybe a coworker had had their parents living with them or had young kids in the house or, or some other challenges they have to do with. So that, that kind of came out of that survey, right? That was a really unexpected outcome for me was the idea that, um, that, that the remote work mode actually increased the feeling of humanity across a team where uh, people commented on, we can see their posters on their walls. We can see their collection of soccer jerseys. Uh, you know, we can see, uh, uh, photos of their family. Uh, you know, we can hear their kids' names in the background, uh, and so to me, that's completely unexpected. That uh, being remote all of a sudden would actually increase the degree to which you get to know um, other people on your team. The other theme that really came out was that um, having this be a shared experience together, bringing teams closer. So on that humanity front, just checking in with people more often about how they're doing, how their family is yeah. doing, how maybe their grandparents are doing, um, having more social breaks, scheduling a social activity together where it really is just a planned social time for the team to hang out and spend time together. Um, you know, people rising to the occasion and helping each other out, a real shared interest in the business ecosystem and how the business change is impacting everybody and wanting to be there and support that together as a team. So, you know, times like this, I think are very bonding. Yeah. And I think the learnings going forward were, were really useful in this category as well. You know, the idea that uh, people have discovered that it's better to have everyone working from home than to have a mix. And so, you know, going forward, encouraging teams to have everyone work from home on the same days so that they're more on an equal footing if they're not all working from home on a full-time basis. Um, the idea that, you know, if you're going to have anybody on a video call, it's better to have everybody one-on-one on the video call than to have some people sharing a microphone in a conference room and other people uh, uh, having their own mic and their own camera and so on. And then I think for me, uh, this the whole idea of setting clear expectations about availability. Uh, when can you be interrupted? What is your work? What is your, what are the hours of your work day? Going back to that separation between home life and work life, making sure everybody on the team knows, you know, when does, when does each team member's work day start? When does it end? Is it okay to call them on the phone? Uh, you know, I think those, those, uh, that expectation setting, I don't think it's hard to do, but it, seemed like from the responses we got, it wasn't being done all that often. Uh, but I think that's an important lesson learned uh, going forward is just, uh, you know, give people some support in separating their work day and their uh, personal day and, and uh, consider having everyone work from home at the same time when they work from home. Right. And Earl and I have talked for a long time about that idea of teams being 100% virtual, even if they're not 100% virtual where that dynamic of there are three or four people in a room and then a couple people virtual just means that people aren't on a level playing field. And that theme came out so strongly here that I think it's, it's a clear pattern that we can use into the future. Yep. 
Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the collaborative work idea. Uh, you know, how does it work best? I mean, one, one of the things I think that also came out, uh, I remember reading some of the comments about the more complex communication forms, things where you normally would have a bunch of people in a room brainstorming or whiteboarding. That's a little more difficult in this environment, right? A little? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I think it was pretty clear that anything that is either large groups of people um, or anything that's highly, highly collaborative, story mapping, brainstorming, uh, design activities has been harder for people to do virtually. Yeah, I thought that was a, an interesting finding too, that the pedestrian communications uh, in some ways improved because of having a better planned meeting or that kind of thing. So in some ways, pedestrian communications got better, but the complex communications became more challenging. You can't have four people all talking at the same time. It's harder to have side conversations, uh, which depending on the kind of meeting you're running, you, you know, maybe you want side conversations in some of those if you're doing collaborative work or brainstorming or doing a whiteboard session. Um, so, and, you know, we had, I think, a pretty good set of reports of communications that people found uh, challenging. Uh, you know, large group meetings, as Jenny mentioned, um, teams that had friction before the pandemic started. And sure. if you have good face-to-face -face relationships when it started, then that maybe carries you through a long period of working remotely. If you didn't have good relationships, if you had friction, then that seemed to be problematic. Uh, you know, more mundane, if the team just hadn't been together very long and you're trying to form a new team remotely, that's uh, that was reported as challenging. Uh, and then Jenny mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the idea of incidental communication, the water cooler conversations and so on. And yeah, I've been impressed with the creativity that people or the you know, people reported in terms of just setting up an open meeting for an hour that people could drop into or having uh, virtual cocktail hours or, you know, that kind of thing. I think there have been some really good workarounds here, but I think the general sense on the incidental communication was that they were workarounds. They're not a real substitute for the real thing. Absolutely. Well, that, that brings us, uh, I think, to the third level of experiences. And, you know, Steve, you wrote um, more effective agile to, as a, a guide, a handbook for leadership, and, and spent a lot of time talking about and thinking about leadership in the last couple of years. Um, the leadership experience in this work from home era, there's some interesting things that come out of that. Do you want to share some things from the survey in that respect? Yeah, I think the um, you know the 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 comments that came through in the survey about leader activities had nothing to do with technical practices. It was all about essentially how to do leadership 101 in a remote environment. So like one thing that jumped out at me was the comments about you have to find a way to look after your team's emotional needs, especially during this particular time. You know, and I think it's, it's easy to see why that would matter now. But I think going forward, after this is all over, the idea that you just can't ignore the emotional component when people are working remotely, I think is an important learning that needs to persist after this period. Um, you know, one of the one of the recommendations was support and encourage communications within the team. So, you know, we've talked a lot about all the good ideas that people have had and the good communication practices, but those aren't necessarily happening on their own spontaneously in every team. And so part of the leader's job is actually to make sure that that uh, communication is still occurring in, uh, in a team that's working remotely. Um, there can be a need for increased coordination 
some to some degree coordination within the team, but um, but also to a large degree the coordination challenge that becomes more difficult is across teams. So if you have larger projects and and you're not in day-to-day contact with another team that you coordinate with, uh, getting that set up uh, as it ends up being something. And then I think just the idea of the leader being visible uh, and ac- accessible and approachable um, is another one that's, uh, I think, uh, you know, a really interesting, challenging when you're working remotely. And I was, I was impressed at the sensitivity that the leader responses showed. Uh, we had many comments along the lines of, I like to manage by walking around and I can see whether people look like they're interruptible or not. I don't like interrupting people when they look like they're concentrating. So I'll focus on people who look like they could use a break or, you know, are, are distractible. And remotely, I can't tell who's interruptible and who's not. I thought that was really sensitive kind of a consideration. Another really interesting subtlety I thought was it's impossible to have um, a lightweight, casual conversation uh, with staff members about a topic because I have to schedule the time to talk to them. Every topic seems important, even if I don't want to make a big deal of it, even if I don't want it to seem important, you know, because I'm scheduling a time to talk about it, they're going to think it's important. And it's hard to just bring something up casually that you want to mention, but that you don't want to make a big deal of. So, you know, these these more subtle kinds of communications, I think, end up end up being a challenge. But I guess I was overall, I was heartened to read that leaders were actually thinking about this. And you know, I think we didn't mention the fact that our survey respondents were disproportionately weighted toward leaders. I think we had about a third of the respondents that identified either as executive or manager uh, in the responses. And, and uh, so I think we had pretty good representation of that, of that category. Absolutely. It also interesting, just the kind, it's not, not surprising, but just to, you know, illuminate the kinds of conversations that they found to be most challenging, right? So things like mentoring people who are more junior, which is obviously going to be harder to do when you need to schedule meetings, as Steve was talking about, Um, you know, obviously onboarding new staff, that's a whole different ballgame in a virtual world than onboarding staff when you've got all the patterns and you're all in the office together. Right. Um, and of course, things like, you know, confronting performance issues or conflict resolution become significantly more challenging in a, in a virtual world. We need to start finding ways uh, to, to do that that are potentially different than how we've done them before. That's true. So um, how about another big topic, and, and Jenny, maybe you can weigh in on this as being, being one of our, uh, our service practitioners here at Constructs, and that's the effect on specific technical practices. I mean, you know, a lot of the world is agile for sure, so you have things like Scrum events and Kanban and SAFE, and so why don't you talk a little bit about what you've experienced in your own situation helping teams in that sense? Well, from survey results, not surprisingly, um, people are saying that all of the events are, you know, somewhat challenging uh, or significantly more challenging for them to do. Uh, On the Scrum side, the one that was the easiest uh, appears to be the daily Scrum from what people were saying, you know, but things like uh, sprint planning and backlog refinement You know, we have people saying things like, you know, 40 some odd plus percent are finding it to be somewhat more challenging or significantly more challenging. 
So again, to that conversation that Steve was having earlier about, you know, mundane communication is certainly relatively easy, but anything that's a little more complex is a little more challenging. I think we see that showing up in the Scrum events. We should see that showing up in the Kanban events. Uh, and we also asked about safe and not surprisingly, one could expect that things like the safe PI planning is reported by people as being the most challenging thing to try and do remotely and virtually back to that conversation about complex communication or large group communication is just much more complicated to do virtually. Yeah. Things like big room planning, right? I mean, you, yep. you, it's hard to look at 60 little squares in Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was striking that you know, given the number of respondents we had that for a couple of the safe activities, no one said it was easier. You know, you kind of expect there to be some representation of of easier, but uh, for a couple of the activities, it was no one said that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah. True. And I mean, some of it, I'm even surprised that anybody said it was significantly less, right? Like, you know, the inspect and adapt, I would have expected to be um, somewhat similar, but some people were saying that it was actually significantly less challenging, which actually startled me. I would think that given the number of people that you're bringing together for inspect and adapt and for PI planning, that people would struggle more with that. Yeah, we had such a small number across the board that said anything was significantly less challenging. It makes me wonder if it's like the same handful of people on every question. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's entirely possible. Uh, do, do you do you see um, any evidence from folks saying that 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 just the basic processes that you use in these different practices uh, take longer? Is it were, was there any sense of that, or do you, was was it were things more or less the same? I mean, bigger communications for sure are going to take longer, but. I think, you know, the, to me, the overwhelming reaction was, you know, we, we've spent some time talking about the interruptions and merging work life and home life, but there was a huge theme about overall, there are fewer interruptions. And hmm. again, I think it goes back to whether there are young kids in the house or not, but uh, we had lots of people who said, coding's easier, I can concentrate, I'm not constantly being interrupted by my teammates or by other uh, stakeholders who are wandering by my desk. Um, and, you know, I think that, that based on this, the volume of comments, we had a very large number of comments really on both sides, people's talking about interruptions and people talking about um, their greater ability to concentrate for extended periods. So I think based on just the comments, it would be hard to settle the issue of which was better. But the way I settle the issue is if we look at the overall bottom line reaction, do you think you're going to be working from home more in the future after this or less? We had so many more people who thought they would be working from home more after this or that they wanted to, their, their personal preference was to work from home more. To me, that settles it to say that all things considered, uh, they feel like they're getting more done, being more productive, working from home than uh, they were at the office. Uh, and I think, you know, so to kind of bottom line the whole survey, I guess the way I would characterize it is, I think the problems that people thought they were going to have did in fact turn out to be problems. So all the problems were as expected. But I think that there were offsetting benefits that were unexpected that actually turned out to be you know, as great or greater than all the problems that they already knew about. And so the surprise in this, I think, is not that there are 
uh, disruptions or challenges. We all knew that going in. I think the surprise is that the the workarounds and the offsetting benefits are as significant as they are, uh, and and may in fact be more significant than the challenges. Mm-hmm. I think one could certainly see a shift into the future where some of the more you know an average day in the life of a scrum team has a lot more people working from home. But the activities where we need things that are more complicated or complex or we really have a larger group of people having a dialogue, those are the times where we all say it really makes sense to make sure that we're together in person to do that. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. So, Steve, you're always a good, a good straight man. And, and with your comment about bottom lining here, you, you, one of my favorite uh, parts of the survey report that you wrote was, a section called long-term recommendations for working from home based on the findings. I mean, it's almost unfair to ask you guys since there was so much detail and so much information in this thing, but maybe you can give us some parting wisdom, some thoughts on some of these recommendations um, for each of the areas we touched on uh, maybe as a, as a closing comment. Sure. I I think, uh, you know, we do have a section in the report on long-term recommendations and I think, you know, this is really why Jenny and I wanted to do this report in the first place was, we really wanted to see if there was a way to take advantage of this as a learning opportunity. And in fact, I think that we have been able to take advantage of it as a learning opportunity. We've seen that uh, we have recommendations for individuals that are pretty much what you would expect in terms of internet bandwidth and ergonomic setup, office setup at home. But I think there are some other uh, aspects that are maybe not expected, such as how to motivate yourself and how to structure your work day and how to, uh, preserve both your work life and your your home life. Uh, in terms of the recommendations for teams, I think, you know, I think we did not know a lot of uh, these insights uh, going into the survey, and we actually learned quite a bit in terms of what kinds of team activities work uh, remotely, but what kinds of team activities really you should favor face-to-face uh, in-person interactions for. Uh, and then in terms of recommendations for leaders, I think similarly, to me, I think it was eye-opening just that the, the very idea that a leader needs to adapt to leading remotely and that you should consciously think about what do I need to change if I'm leading remotely, that really was not on my radar screen going into the survey, but it's very much on my radar screen coming out of the survey. So, um, so I think that we came up with some actually good, good outcomes. I see a potential executive summit topic in the future, Steve. <laughs> There you go. The shameless promotion group right. speaks, <laughs> speaks. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Well, this has been a great conversation. Both of you clearly a lot of really encouraging news that, that you know, about how we're all coping with this. Um, I'm seeing my uh, producer with a little wavy hand in the window saying it's time to wrap. So I think I just want to say thank you both, Steve and Jenny. This has been really, really uh, fascinating. It's a great survey. And I think it's a, a really interesting look at the world we find ourselves in right now. And uh, don't forget the full report will also be available uh, if you want to dig in and see more details about um, things like tool usage or the specific response rates to different practices and different questions that we asked. Right. Absolutely. It'll be available on the resources part of our website. Absolutely. So I think our listeners probably feel some comfort and, and maybe some uh, some uh, commonality in hearing how much we are accomplishing. I think it's, if anything, we, we try to accomplish today in terms of giving information from the survey, that's certainly something that should be a good takeaway for those folks. So be sure to tune in again for another episode of Inspect and Adapt, the Constructs podcast. Until then, this has been Mark Griffin as your host. 
Liz Ostaszewski will be our podcast uh, post-recording audio engineer, and she'll gonna definitely earn our stripes today with three different audio feeds that she has to blend. <laughs> Devin Musgrove has been our producer. Please continue to stay safe, everybody, and have a great next sprint. If you enjoyed this episode and you have comments or would like to talk with one of our practitioners, reach out via email using comments at constructs.com. Again, that's comments at constructs.com. We'd love to hear from you.